Welcome to another Maramara Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message from Declan Smith. I was told at the uh, prayer meeting before church that I didn't, didn't need to be too long because we had lots going on. So I haven't quite worked out whether I've got to talk twice as fast or whether I just read every second line of my notes. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm Nigel, part of the, the leadership team here at, at church, and uh, I'd like to add my welcome to, to anyone who might be here for the first time. And may you really experience a warm welcome. So, uh, one week to go until Christmas. Sorry, that's a bit high now. Until we celebrate the, the birth of our Lord. We're coming to the end of the, our Advent series centred around uh, Isaiah 9 verse 6. And while I bring my Bible up, I find it great comfort having it here really, but, but all the, the, the uh, verses are there. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And this morning we're focusing on the last expression, the Prince of Peace. I trust, though, that you've gained a new appreciation for this verse as we've looked at it over the last three weeks. The context for this prophecy was in a period of real turmoil in Israel. Incredible turmoil. During Isaiah's lifetime, the ten northern tribes had been taken and conquered and taken into captivity by the Syrians. And about 110 to 120 years later, and after the death of Isaiah, the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin were conquered by the Babylonians following some incredibly grim times for them. In the midst of this, Isaiah is calling him the Prince of Peace. What a great thought to be meditating on in the weeks leading up to Christmas. But what's dominated your thoughts recently? Is the ham going to be big enough to feed everyone on Christmas Day? Did I remember to get my sister her Christmas present? And what say she gives me a present that's far more expensive than the one I've given her? Oh dear. Oh no, is Granddad really going to be there again regaling us with his stories about how society's gone to pack? (laughs) The same stories as he told last year and the year before that? And, well, let's not go there. (laughs) Will the children like their own presents without World War III breaking out? It's a who has the best present. And probably one that a lot of us face. Have we overspent the budget on the presents again? And what's the January's credit card account going to be like? Your family's not like that, is it? Of course not. We long for a peaceful Christmas, don't we? 
all our differences, our problems, issues, heartaches, put aside at least for a day. In fact, what the world thinks of at large, is, the world at large thinks of peace is simply the absence of conflict, the absence of war. The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, means much more than just the absence of conflict or the absence of war. It's referring to peace in a much broader sense, that of wholeness, welfare, physical health, prosperity, quietness, mental and emotional well-being. And really no one word in English describes it completely. This prophecy that we've been looking at is quite amazing. Although initially emphasizing the Messiah coming as a child, in one short verse, Isaiah here is declaring him to be part of the Godhead, part of what we call the Trinity. Wonderful counselor. That term counselor, doesn't that remind you of, of Jesus' comments referring to the Holy Spirit? And that, that's translated in various ways in different uh, translations. But mighty God, everlasting Father, along with the term prince of peace, and prince obviously being the son of a king. Here he was saying, in one verse like that, this Messiah is going to be the God revealed to us. And the prophecy was instantly setting him apart from the human rulers, such as Nebuchadnezzar and even, even King David, whose reign depended on mighty military power, with conquests and subsequent rule that came about only through bloodshed and battle. It sets apart the rule of Jesus, for his rule depends on sacrificial bloodshed of the cross. The name Prince of Peace also helps to explain why Jesus disappointed his countrymen when he came. They weren't looking for a peaceful prince. They were looking for someone who would annihilate their foes and re-establish the glory of the days they knew of the days of Solomon, particularly. They wanted Rome and all their oppressors to be obliterated. Now, before we go any further, I think there is something that I think that really needs a, a, attention, and I want you to hang in with me here for a, a while, please. For some of you here, you'll be thinking that if Jesus can have the title Prince of Peace, then how come our world is so full of conflict? Israel and the Hamas, Russia and the Ukraine, or any of the other wars that have come to mind. Last year, it's been estimated that somewhere between 100,000 and 250,000 people died as a result of armed conflict around the world. And while these figures will horrify us, we need to get hold of the bigger picture. The picture is not simply of armed conflict between armies and rebel groups and terrorists, 
but the conflict between God and Satan, the prince of this world. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And this battle will continue until Jesus returns with his final victory over Satan and establishes his rule of peace forever. And I'll come back to that idea shortly. A verse that's often been misquoted, Matthew 10, where Jesus makes the following comment, verse 34, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And so, in a casual reading of the Bible, a casual reading of the Bible, it's really easy to then ask the question, where does that fit in? And unfortunately, that verse has even been used by the, past, by the church in the past to justify war. And I think there are two levels that we can look at this particular verse. Firstly, it's talking about the fact that when you become a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus, you will face opposition from Satan. You will face opposition from the world at large. Further in that same passage, it talks about families being divided between those of your family that believe in the lordship of Jesus, those that know and love him, and those that reject him. And I acknowledge that probably all of us have members of our family that do not know the Lord. And more than that, not know him, absolutely reject him. So this verse is describing a division between the two as if a sword has cut a fine line between those two groups. And what it's saying is that there's no sitting on the fence as to whether you're a Christian or not. Well, yeah, I'm sort of a Christian. Yeah, there's things that I agree and things that, no, nah, no. Nah. That's not where it's at. Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. There's no, there's no maybe, maybe I don't believe that. We either do or we don't. In John 16, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So that word tribulation means to have great trouble, and, and from that great trouble, suffering. Jesus is saying, expect it. But our peace is in who? Or what? Quality of life? Easy circumstances? 
good relationships? No. Our peace is not based on those. It's based on Jesus. This week I came across a statement by John Ortberg. And he says, Peace does not come from finding a lake with no storms. It comes from having Jesus in the boat. Note the last part of that, the verse. I have overcome the world. I, I, some of these things, you, you just have a, 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 a fresh revelation when, when you look at the scripture and, and meditate on it. This is Jesus speaking before his death on the cross and his, his resurrection. Before he broke the power of Satan at that time. I have overcome the world. And this brings us back to Isaiah chapter 9. And and I want to look at that passage again. And in fact, we would do it in justice if we didn't go on from verse 6. And and in this case, look at verse 7 as well. So verse 6, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on, and forever. And I dare say we could actually carry on further through that, through that passage. So here is not just simply referring to, to the kingdom such as David established in Israel. If we only considered verse 6, it would be easy to think of that passage simply as referring to a prophecy about the, the coming of Jesus to earth some 2,000 years ago and all that that means. But prophecy is not always fulfilled on one occasion. Sometimes it is. Often it's not. We will see the fulfillment of this when Jesus returns again. And Satan meets his final demise. It is that peace in the full sense of the word shalom that is our hope and that as Christians we long for. But this doesn't mean to say that we should not be praying for peace. In fact, we're told in the word of God that we should be praying for peace. And I think one area that we can pray particularly is that God would have compassion on the people who are suffering. I think we should be praying for the people of Gaza, that God would have compassion on them, at least. The people of Ukraine, that God would have compassion on them. Probably an appropriate time to to light the candle.
So with these thoughts in mind, I want to bring the peace of God then down to a personal level. And I think there are three, three things that are important, and I realise that I'm going to be throwing out a number of Bible verses to you with this. And the first thought that I want to, to entertain is that initially we need to have peace with God, not be honing in on the peace of God. Notice the emphasis on with. And the world at large does not want peace with God. It doesn't. It wants to do it to have peace on its own terms. It simply wants it simply wants the peace of God. Yet peace with God is the foundation of our faith. Due to sin, we were separated from God, but Jesus restored our relationship with God when he took upon himself our sin and died on the cross. And in Colossians chapter 1, we read, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. And I've just added that that word Jesus there. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. The people of the world don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Peace never comes free. Never. Regardless of whether we look at it in in the way that the world wants to look at it, by one side of a conquest, winning in the end of war, Or whether we're looking at it from God's view. Someone had to pay for our peace with God. That someone was Jesus. You won't get peace by God by simply coming to church. You won't get peace with God by doing good works. You won't give it, get it by giving financially towards the church. You won't get it through helping with community dinners, school lunches, or children's church, or or dare I say, being a youth group leader. But we still want you to be a youth group leader. Please, I'll add my appeal to, to that, what Declan has been saying. We are desperately needing people to help with youth youth group. By and large, the church does not see the ministry of the youth group. But it has a huge effect amongst the young people of our community. And we need to be supporting it. And for some, if you're sitting there thinking, shall I or shan't I? Can I, can I please add a comment? Go beyond praying about it. Don't just stop there. Offer to be involved.
coming back to my actual comments. There's no other way to have peace with God except through Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So as I said, peace with God is foundational and must come before the peace of God can take hold in our lives. And that peace of God then becomes evident, I think, in two other areas. And one is peace with others. I'm not telling you anything new when I say that a significant source of stress stress in our life has to do with our relationships with other people. Getting along well with another person requires effort on our part, especially when the other person does things that irritates us or even annoys or hurts us in some way. You know, that includes family members. Could be people in the classroom at school, people in our places of work. For some, it may be a neighbour. And even our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And of course, we all know that we don't do anything to upset others. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace not only because he restores broken relationships between man and God, but between one person and another. But it takes responsibility and it takes effort on our part. Just a couple of scriptures. The first one, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The how of this verse is then explained in more detail in Ephesians 4 and verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's a fairly clear instruction, isn't it? And God empowers us by his Holy Spirit to be peacemakers as far as possible with our neighbours, friends, and let's just say others. Something we can't do in our own strength. In the second area that peace with God then allows is peace with ourselves. Perhaps one of the biggest battles that can occur on earth for some people is in the mind. The world only offers temporary peace, focusing on circumstances. Not lasting peace that quietens our souls. But even when our circumstances are not peaceful, our hearts and minds can be filled with a peace because of Jesus. Biblical peace is not something we can create on our own. It's a fruit of the Spirit as we allow the Spirit to work in our lives. John 14, verse 27, Jesus gives us this assuring promise. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
And peace is a gift from God, and I think that perhaps that we can explore this a little bit further in the sense that we're coming to Christmas, a time of giving gifts. Does, does the peace of God simply fall into our laps? Is it something that we simply have because Jesus has said that he'll give it to us? But as we give gifts, a gift is not only given, but a gift is received. And I think there's a sense that we need to receive it. And I can quote all the scripture that we can handle on Jesus being the Prince of Peace, but if we don't receive the gift, if we don't take it and apply his promises in our life, then it will be as if it's nothing to us. And so we have a choice to make. So how do we receive it? Shortly I'm going to go to Scripture again because I think that's, there are some clear guidelines in the Bible on this. But it's important also to know that this gift that we have been given is not an exchange for good behavior, good works and so on. We don't give gifts to our children only if they've been good during the year, despite what stories are often told to children about whether Santa's going to visit them or not. We give gifts to our children because we love them in the same way that God gave his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for forgiveness of sin because he loves us. And I want to look at three verses in terms of how we receive this, or, or uh, helping us to receive it, I should say. And the first one is Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is, is a psalm about loving the law of God. The word of God. The law of God, as, as when it was written, would have only been the first five books of the Bible. But we look at it in terms of the whole Bible. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. And so I want to challenge you, do you read your Bible regularly? Do you read it, reflect on it, and what it's saying? Daily, I would encourage and if necessary, use some sort of devotional aid. And I won't mention the names of any particular one, but there are a number of rounds. And realize that it might take some time to become disciplined in this. Not just doing it if it suits. Not just doing it if, if time allows today. Make time. To read the word of God regularly. And you'd be amazed at how God speaks to us as we read it. It may not be tangible, it may not be obvious in the moment. But it's like washing. Washing of the word. And the second one, the second verse is Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, and you, you'll know this one well. Be anxious for nothing, 
But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Self-explanatory, really. I probably don't need to add much there. And look, I could have chosen a number of verses. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. A mind stayed on God is steadfast. This refers to the unwavering trust and devotion where the mind remains anchored to the God and to the Lord regardless of circumstances. You know, I'm just reflecting, each time I've had the opportunity to speak over the last year, I have encouraged you to be regular in reading the word and in praying. And I'll do it again and again and again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Lord, we, we understand that we live in the, in the times of great spiritual battle. But I pray, Father, as we come to, to read your word, as we come on our knees before you, that we may know your peace dwelling within our hearts. Father, may we see the big picture beyond our own circumstances. May we be, as, as that's, that statement by John Ortberg said, Lord, not just looking in our circumstances for peaceful times. But Lord, we recognise that, that folk here within this congregation, there are some who, who struggle through really difficult times. And we pray that they may know the peace of Jesus in their boat. Thank you, Lord. Hey, as we lead into communion, this morning we've been talking about the Prince of Peace, that is Jesus. This Jesus who came as a baby, not born in a palace, as the son of a human king, as a human ruler, but born in the most humbling of circumstances, did not come to bring a superficial peace, did not come to bring warm fuzzies. He came to bring us peace with God through his sacrificial death on the cross. And you know, the only reason that we, we celebrate Christmas is because it points to Easter three or four months later. It points to the cross. Romans 6 tells us that the result of sin is death. We come partaking of the bread and wine and communion to remember that Jesus took our sin upon himself and as a result of as a result, for, um, for those who are willing to confess their sin before God and seek his forgiveness, then the free gift of God is eternal life in 
Christ Jesus, our Lord, the Prince of Peace. Bless you. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to connect with us more, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or you can send us an email through our church website, maramarabaptist.org. See you soon.